I'm Sienna. I'm the kid. I'm Sarah. I'm the mom. This is Queer Kids Straight Mom. Let's talk. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Queer Kids Straight Mom. Um, This week, we are talking to a guest who is a friend of mine who I met playing Dungeons and Dragons because we are nerds. So uh, as a quick heads up before we jump in, I apologize if my sound quality is a little bit worse than usual. I just totally spaced and didn't get a headset checked out from my library. Hopefully mom will magically fix it in editing. So Becca, do you want to just introduce yourself really quick? Yes. Hi, my name's Becca Melama. I am a graduate student trying to earn her PhD at the University of Utah. I'm currently in the immunology program. And I am a dungeon master by like moonlight. Is that the phrase? I don't know. Moonlight is a dungeon master, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, and occasionally I get to play as a player. And I also love to go cycling. That is as exciting as a graduate student life gets, people. <laughs> but you do have your blog. You want to share about your blog just because I think it's cool. Oh, thank you. I'm trying. I'm a wannabe science communicator as well. So I actually do have a blog that's called Getting the Science Right. I like to do creative writing on the side. And so I tried to look at ways you can incorporate science in new and interesting ways. One of the ways actually we used in the first session that we did. Yeah. 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 We have had a whole lot of interesting conversations about science and and whether pineapple juice allergies equal poisons and just just all sorts of good stuff. Oh, right. I remember after we watched Knives Out, I remember you consulting Becca on that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so for the listeners, allergens are not considered toxins because toxins interact the same way within everyone's body. For example, convulsin will interact with the cells in your body on the same receptors and it will cause your blood to clot and you will die. That is a toxin, and that's how generally how toxins work. However, allergens, which is what you would see in the Knives Out, the pineapple juice is not itself a toxin. It doesn't interact the same, like you normally would digest it. However, in certain people with allergies, their immune system goes, aha, you're dangerous. And it's actually the part of the immune system that interacts with parasites. So if your body's thinking it's a, a parasite, that's a, you know, I'm hand waving over some of the stuff, but that's not a toxin. And therefore that's why certain spells we were talking about, that's why certain spells in Dungeons and Dragons wouldn't work to clear an allergen. Um, so if I'm allergic to pineapple juice and I cast uh, cure poison on myself or detect poison or whatever, what it, whatever it is we decided sucks for me. I still die. Sad, sad, sad. <laughs> if I was the dungeon master, I wouldn't let you die because <laughs> that's a, that would be a sucky way to be like, you don't have antihistamines. Um, but <laughs> in theory, cure poison would not work. Yeah. So that's, that's a little, uh, peek into the conversations that we were having throughout that campaign. Um, But we also talked a lot about like story creation and world building and your kind of approach to romance and how you see like romance and sex coming up in stories, which as we were talking about this, you mentioned being asexual and aromantic. And I had been thinking a lot about that just in the context of, you know, consuming media like books and movies and all that stuff. And I thought you would be an awesome person to have come on and talk about your experience and your thoughts because you have really good thoughts. I was so impressed talking to you. (laughs) 
like over an hour conversation after one of the game nights. Literally. Yeah. Sienna, I, I love that as a lead into that too, with stories and creativity, because it does seem to be in the world of fiction, like romantic and sexual relationships are like the be all end all of every story, right? It's like every character's goal or their completion or they're reaching the finish line or whatever it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually also interested in your thoughts on that. I was just going to say one time where this came up, because a lot of times it's so intimately tied in with the plot as well. Because one of the ones where this came up for me was when we were watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it's like, you know, uh, spoilers, I guess, for anyone who hasn't seen the first season of Buffy, but first couple seasons, whatever. Anyway, you know, Angel is cursed. Like if he, he has a soul, but if he ever experiences true happiness, then he reverts back to his evil vampiric self. And apparently having sex with Buffy is the experience of true happiness. And I was like, mm, interesting. <laughs> That's a low bar. <laughs> I, I think like, I don't know, there's so many other things. It's just one of the many parts of a relationship. And if that's, that's the pinnacle. Hmm. So before we dig into media representation, everything more, do you want to just like zoom out really quick and explain what it means to you to be asexual and aromantic? Sure. So I will say before we get into it, being asexual and aromantic, both of those identities for me do blend together. I do want to say that those are two very separate things, but I may say something that I experienced as an asexual that does blend more into being like, that's actually aromantic. Keep in mind, those are very intertwined with me. And that's not the case for everyone who is on the asexual and or aromantic spectrum. So before we get into that, that that is something I want to go into. But asexuality is a lack or very incredibly very little experience of sexual attraction. And then you have aromanticism, which means having little to no romantic attraction to someone, meaning I want to be best friends with people, but I don't want to go any farther than that. I don't want to I don't want to kiss. I don't want to snuggle. That's just not a thing for me. And those are technically two separate identities because one can be a romantic but still experience sexual attraction and have vice versa, be not sexually attracted to people but still want the romance. And I happen to be on the very far side of both spectrums. And it is also important to say for both of those identities, there is a wide, wide variety of how people experience it. And you're happening to talk to someone who I am, but I'm something called sex repulsed. I really don't like it. And I don't know if there's a word for romance repulse, but it's just like, it's not for me. It's not. So you have managed to hit someone who identifies as that, but that is not representative necessarily of either groups. Yeah. So. I mean, I know I follow people on social media who are asexual, but still really enjoy reading romance novels. Like there's not, you know, your sexual and or romantic identity does not define what behaviors you might engage in around sex and romance. Yes. Yasmin Benoit, she is one yes. of the major asexual and aromantic um, activists out there. So if you are interested more, please follow her as well. She's done so much for the asexual and aromantic community. Yeah. So, and you mentioned, you know, wanting to be best friends with someone as opposed to wanting, you know, a romantic or sexual relationship. And that really kind of got me thinking about how society, like my, like mom said earlier, in most media, like, yeah, romance and to some extent, depending on the media, sex are really seen as a core part of a character's growth and sort of their character arc and all of that stuff. It's much less common to see platonic relationships 
treated that way or given that same kind of weight. So do you think you could just expand on that a little bit? Yes, I will say before we go on the one of the best platonic, I haven't seen the full movie yet, but I know things like RRR where you have romances that actually is like the pinnacle platonic relationship but i just want to throw that out there really quick is that there are representations of romances or the pinnacle being platonic relationships Mm -hmm. i'm trying to think about where to start with this one i always yeah it's always the idea of getting the getting the kiss and getting the relationship and we can Maybe after this, we can talk about the how the initiation tends to be like the end goal for whatever reason and not the progression. But the message that tends to be going across, though, is that you have initiated a romantic and sexual relationship with someone. You see that in a lot of Disney movies. You finally, you know, you get the marriage at the end. In a lot of media, it comes across as, you know, get the girl because a lot of media is straight white main characters. Uh, male characters and growing up reading all of those books were and even seeing all the movies where that was the end point i understood growing up that that was my end point and i feel like this is a common experience for those on the arrow and ace spectrum where when you realize you don't want that end goal and you realize it's not only do i want it i really i want to avoid it Again, I am someone who is repulsed by that. Not necessarily, you're not repulsed by relationships, but the idea that I'm going to be romantically involved with someone and sexually involved with someone. I realized in college, oh my God, I can't do that. Hmm. Now, I didn't have a word for what I was then. But the idea that I had been fed all of these stories in media, and not only in media, but, you know, family, friends, when you get married, that phrase, when you get married, when you have kids, when you have sex with someone, you always have that talk with the birds and the beats. It's not if, it's always when. And when I realized that that was something that I did not have, I thought that I had a hole in myself. The word that comes across in the asexual community is broken. I'm not going to, I don't want to use that word though, because it really just felt like I was just missing something. And I panicked. I really did panic because what happens when I, you know, all I know what happens in the stories that I'm supposed to get married. Mm-hmm. How, what do I do? What's the happy ending if it's not that? And how long ago was this? So that was when, oh gosh, I think I realized that in 2013, I was like starting college, but I didn't have a word for what I was until about 2016, 17. Okay. So. I was, yeah, that's what I was asking. I was If it was a point where like that was even something that people talked about. Um, just not in my environment. It's not that it wasn't there. It was that I probably just didn't stumble across the word because it turns out that I actually knew someone who identified as asexual at the time, but I just never really talked to him about it. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't a big thing on, you know, in in the queer community on, on my campus. So it was, it was more like I missed it by accident. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until a BuzzFeed quiz that I had a word. Well, <laughs> you know, they had uses back then. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, was that then a relief knowing that there was a word? No, no, that didn't help. It did for a brief moment, but it was right after I found the word. And then I went online. I'm like, oh, does that mean I'm straight? Am I part of the queer community now? 
Um, so there was a bit of excitement, and this was in a span of 30 minutes. I just want everyone to realize is I had a word. 30 minutes later, I go onto the internet and go like, where am I? And I found forums because I had no one else to talk to, and that was how I was finding my information. And it was a definitive no. Asexuals are not part of the queer community. Hmm. I don't even know if they were some kind of, like, I don't know. remember what people were like, oh, you're some kind of straight or something. But it was definitely like, you're not considered queer because you're not attracted to people, which by people's online definitions, for whatever reason, according to those forums, like, no, that means that you can't be part of the queer community because the queer community is defined by who I am attracted to. So if you're just not there, you're just out by yourself. Wow. And so I also realized that it's like, I'm not straight. Because I'm not attracted to guys. I'm not attracted to anyone. I thought for a bit that, am I bi? Oh, everyone feels the same to me. But when you come across, it's like, no, it's because everyone just kind of looks, meh, I'm sorry. And then you're like, oh, now I'm just treading water in this giant ocean. And there's no island that I can go to or no like ship I can wave down. Because according to the internet, and I had no one else, I was, I was it. I was a minority of one. And I have forums, but oh, that's not the same as talking to someone. No, that sounds like yeah. a very lonely place. <laughs> I mean, I think that's one of the really hard things about growing up queer, especially an identity that's still more marginalized within the queer community, is the, the internet is a double-edged sword because you can find community and you can learn about terms like asexual, but... There's also a lot of gatekeeping and a lot of negativity and people uh, sometimes will feel more free to express themselves in really negative ways on the internet. And it can end up being really helpful for people and it can also end up being really, really sucky for people. Yeah, just, you know, oh, you just have low libido is the one I saw quite often. And you're like, "Mm, I don't think that's it, but all right. Yeah, and it wasn't. Fun fact, if we want just more of a timeline, I did not meet my first asexual person in person until 2020 and like everything else was on the internet. And so if you really want to know, it's like I was, you know, I'm like a little unicorn and I, the asexual unity uses like the myth, like we're little mythical creatures. And I don't know if you've ever seen Legend of Zelda where they have the Koroks and only like certain people can see them. That's what it kind of felt like at times. But also, I didn't exactly go out there and also just say, hi, I'm asexual, because I don't want to continuously explain it to people. (laughs) And I also don't want to keep defending it, which is what I have had to do in the past when I have revealed it. The are you sure is what people like to say, even from people who are in the queer community. Yeah, it's one of those weird things where you would think that people who have been told their entire lives, are you sure you don't like guys, would be more aware of their words but nope nope uh, i think majority of my not all i will not all um it's been a double-edged sword but the are you sure's have come from the queer community mm-hmm. which you know that's for years i didn't know it's like i'm in this weird nothing space yeah i'm not sure i'm also not queer where i don't know so i would imagine another sort of difficult part is that historically, just because of like cultural factors, um, sex has played such a large role in the community, queer community. Yes. And I understand why that is. And I'm not 
I'm not against it. I think it's cathartic to take, you know, to take charge of something that was denied to you. You know, one of them was sexual expression or romantic expression. And I think it's great to celebrate it. But I have had, hi, queer community, I'm here. And then it's kind of slam in your face sometimes, the sex, the sex, the sex. Not even the romance. It's A lot of it is a sex. That's kind of a lot. Like what Sienna just said is kind of a lot along the lines of what I was about to say was been such a focus. And part of that, I think, is that among the queer community, there's, and I'm speaking as an outsider, of course, here, but my impression is that there is a feeling of like, we have had to keep this quiet. Nobody wants to, like, this is, this has been treated as like a bad secret. And so we want to be open with our sexuality and not have to be ashamed of it. And then when somebody comes along and says, I don't want anything to do with any of that, not because of the gay part of it, just the sex part of it. And you're like, hold on, wait, what? I can imagine that the the stereotype among the queer community that's especially the segment of it that's very open about their sexuality is that people that aren't that it's the like buttoned up churchy straight people that don't want to have anything to do with sex and there are probably like uh assumptions they make about anybody that you know it just, it just makes sense what i'm saying yeah I've heard a couple of stories on Ace Podcast where it's, you know, you you fit in with the church community, but it's because it's like, oh, yeah, I don't need to have sex. Well, I'll take the vow of <laughs> yeah. whatever that vow is of virginity or whatever it is. You're like, chastity, there we go. It's like, yeah, not, yeah. not a problem. It's yeah. not temptation. Right. Um, And it's not that I don't want people to express themselves sexually, but it is sometimes... It's not even difficult. It's just sometimes really annoying. Sometimes where you're like, there's a lot of sex. Yeah. And I want to celebrate this with you guys because, you know, I want to celebrate, you know, there's a catharsis going on in celebration. But, hmm. I think I have a sort of, not exactly the same, but a similar experience because, you know, like the club scene and partying is also so big in the queer community. I have sensory issues and... So, and I'm, you know, I don't drink or anything like that. So that scene has always been very inaccessible to me. And it's, it's a similar thing where I'm like, I understand that there's a history here and that there's a reason that this exists. And there's a reason that it's an important part of the community, but also can we have an event that isn't all about loud music? Yeah. Yeah. That, I, that is something that I haven't also explored. I am an extremely boring person when it comes to like partying. I can last for 30 minutes and I'm like, I'd rather be doing literally anything else. And I also, I've, I've tried drinking and uh, I cannot get, it tastes so bad in my mouth. And I'm one of those people. (laughs) Yeah. And I've tried so many times. I've tried the ones where like, you'll never taste the alcohol you taste. And you're like, oh dear God, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) This reminds me of you with coffee too, Sienna. Every time I'm like, taste this fruity coffee drink. You won't even taste the coffee. And Sienna's like, yeah. Uh-uh. You can always <laughs> taste, taste coffee. this coffee. <laughs> yeah, it's always there. Always taste it. <laughs> I haven't even thought about that though, just because like, I don't know, I've never been a, you know, the partier. No one in my, let's be honest, like me and my old, me and my older brother are like, meh, parties. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it skipped a new iteration in our family or something. I don't know. But we're the people who are like board games. Yes. <laughs> Video games, yes. (laughs) 
introverts all the way. And like, you know, we could literally be doing something else right now, right? The loud parties. That does sort of lead me to another um, another part of what we talked about, which um, obviously, as demonstrated, there are certain experiences between uh, other identities like disability that can overlap with the asexual experience. But unfortunately, that means that they oftentimes will get really mashed together and people will conflate them. Yeah. And there's a lot of overlap between I think a lot of it came down to the representation of the you know groups in actually going back to stories mm-hmm. it's getting better recently in relatively recent years but a lot of like ah this person is ace they're a robot and this person is ace which means that they also cannot feel feelings they're non-human they do not understand human relationships which is why they're ace And a lot of that also gets construed with neurodivergence. And on record here, you can have folks in both communities overlap, but just because you are in one does not mean you are in the other. And that's how media tends to portray it sometimes. And you're like, you know, both both groups, even though there's overlap, can one, not okay to continually show, you know, folks who are othered as (laughs) non-human and as not capable of understanding relationships what but also there's so much more rich representation you could do rather than just going ah you're ace or you're aromantic you're the robot person now and that's almost treated as a disability in and of itself because yes people act yes. like you are not functioning the way that you are supposed to function Yes, funny enough, and don't, I mean, you might have to find the site for this, but I think people who admitted, like, they were asexual um, were admitted to, uh, you know, mental asylums back in the day. And again, it's that I, it's, it's, there's still some prevalence of that today where there's something wrong with you. Yeah, and I mean, from the, it's one of those weird things where it's not exactly conflicting, but for from the disability standpoint there's an element of it that's like no please see me as being capable of experiencing sexual attraction just because my body looks different or just because i express emotions differently doesn't mean that that's not something i can experience but at the same time if you take that too far then all of a sudden you start erasing ace disabled people so it's it's one of those examples of you know the majority heteronormative able-bodied culture just pitting marginalized groups against each other when in reality obviously we're fundamentally dealing with the same thing which is don't tell me how i cannot and can and cannot express my sexuality or lack thereof oh yeah no i just remember listening to i I think it may have been writing excuses podcast and they were talking about disabilities on a couple of the episodes and it was one of them one of the discussions was about hey, you should probably have like more than one representation of this in your book (laughs) so you avoid stereotypes as much Mm -hmm. as possible. Yeah, he's like, oh, the one person who is ace-coded in your your book hits every single stereotype. (laughs) Yeah, I remember reading a book. There was a character who used a wheelchair and was also ace. And it, it exactly is, right? Because if you have to use, to kind of use an analogy, if you have 
a bunch of female characters. You could have one female character who is a stay-at-home mom and wears dresses and likes stereotypically girly things, and that's fine because you have a whole But if that's the one female character, it creates problems. And so it's really, yeah, it's such a good point, is that it a breadth of experiences and a breadth of different character is so important to portraying a marginalized community, especially one that you don't belong to. Yeah. And the, it also comes back to this construing of sex being this... I, we can go back to the Buffy the Vampire Slayer where it is viewed as this high, intense, emotional. If you cannot feel that desire, well, that means you can't feel other emotions, right? Because if you can't feel the... I'm going to use quotation marks here, but it's like pinnacle of happiness. Well, it's like, what can you feel? You have a lack of feeling in general. Yeah, and I think it really... Yeah. It really devalues, you know, other meaningful relationships in our lives. I, Because one of the things that I was thinking about when I asked you to come on the podcast was I was thinking about, you know, sometimes I'm texting my friends and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so happy. Like, I love this person so much and I love texting them and I love talking to them. And it's like, it almost feels like having a crush on someone. And I'm like, wait, do I have a crush on them? No. What? Because platonic love is a thing that you can experience to an intense degree, and it doesn't have to be romantic or sexual. Yeah, and that's just not something our society cares about. Every once in a while, I feel like there's a really good, and they're usually like chick flicks, but a really good movie where like the friendship is like the core of the movie. And these people are generally not like aromantic or asexual, but it's like, the relationships come and go and they're like the side stories because the story is the friendship. And I always appreciate that because I do think that intimacy has a lot more definitions than people like to give it. Yeah. Um, and I, I do love those stories, but they can, the platonic relationship can evolve to where uh, you can actually be essentially, you can be in love with someone. It's just not you know, sexual or it's not romantic. And that is like in books and in the stories that we talk about, you can have it within the context of the story, the friendship be like the pinnacle or like the grounding relationship of the entire story. That said, it is understood that that is not the highest love mm -hmm. because everyone's still searching for their, you know, it's like, so it's not that no one actually sits down in those books and says, I love you. I, and like you are my best friend. Um, I think the only book that's ever happened, I actually have it right here. I have all feelings about this book, but there is a book called The Fire Becomes Her, where they where they actually sit down and go, Well, what we have is not romantic and it's not sexual, but I am intensely in love with you. And it's like this is an amazing friendship. And I have felt that in the past. And I don't think I had the words to understand that I was actually in love with someone and not just romantic, like not romantically or sexually, but it's like, I am deeply in love with this person. So I think the only thing that I have seen that in, especially in like a kind of main character way is the Rusty Phil Gaming podcast where, yeah, there's a um, two characters in there where the character is asexual and biromantic and so for a minute they were like is this going to be a romantic relationship and then ended up he was like no like i 
love this man, but not in a romantic way. And it was really lovely. And they got to own a restaurant together and retire. And it was very sweet. But um, yeah, but yeah, that's not something that you see. And I think that's probably part of the reason why, you know, you didn't have the words to express it. Yeah. And then when, when one experiences that, you get very confused if you don't have the words. I, I remember at the time, I actually had what I thought was a crush on a person back in college. And I actually was panicking because I told my, you know, the counselor I was seeing at the time, I, I don't want to kiss them. I don't want to snuggle with them. All I want to do is just like hang out. And that's what I fantasize about is hanging out and playing games and going on walks with this individual. The response I got was, oh, that's cute. Because again, platonic relationships are not put on the same level as sexual and romantic. (sighs) The amount of patronizing that happens is uh, amazing. And it's this thing where it's like, if I can't, if I can't grow past the best friends phase, I, I have not grown up. Yeah. Especially as someone who's thought about what love is and what does that actually mean to me? I'm like, no, I have, I'm very much an adult. And just because I'm not interested in this and I, I can express that now does not mean that I get to be treated like a child. I Probably. think you're about to say the exact same thing. <laughs> more thought into it than most people. And to assume that's less mature than somebody that's just following the same biological urges that everybody that you expect everybody to have, that somehow that's more mature because you did what everybody around you was doing rather than actually thinking through. Like, to me, that's such a more nuanced, mature view of the world to actually like search what it is you want from your relationships with people and to be honest about that. Um, Yeah, I will. A lot of it does come down to cultural practices, though. And I don't think we think of it in this way, where in a lot of cultural practices, there are rituals you do to become an adult. Sometimes that is I can't remember from my anthropology classes. I'm so sorry, listeners. But, you know, sometimes that's like, ah, I have taken care of the farmland by myself. Therefore, I am allowed into adulthood. It is unsaid in our culture, but in our Western culture, the rituals to get to be considered mature are drinking. You know, we have that age, you know, it's like now you can drive a car, having sex for the first time. And and we actually things that we codify into law, right? Like you can drive a car at this age. You can have sex at this age. You can drink at this age. Yes. And those are, we we don't say them out loud necessarily all the time, but those are the cultural rituals a lot of us complete. And there are others I'm just not thinking of right now. But in terms of this, it's that I have not completed cultural rituals that we would see as crossing over from child into adult. We don't verbally say it that way because a lot of times people don't really think about the rituals that you're doing, or you don't even think about it as a ritual. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know when I was in high school, I, and this was only my sophomore year. Like that's not, that's not that late, but I hadn't dated anybody. And I ended up dating someone I probably shouldn't have dated partially because I was like, everyone else has dated people. I feel like I'm missing the train here. Like I am going to take this person who I have some shared interests with and no, she's into me. We're going to go on a date. 
Yeah. I mean, I technically I have, now that you said I have technically been on one date and it was not good. It was a little forced and I still don't even consider it a date because I didn't say yes to it, but (laughs) so dating that kind of takes me to my next question. I'm curious about when you do meet somebody that's really compelling to you and you have shared interests and you're spending time together and talking, you get the sense that somebody's interested in you and you have to explain this. If so, like how has that been received? Um, Weirdly enough, in most recent times, I have actually like my bestest best friend right now. I just came forward with her, you know, second time we were meeting. She I did not get vibes off of her, let's just say that. But I also just said, like, hey, I'm asexual and aromantic. She's like, cool, sweet. And, you know, again, I wasn't getting vibes off of her. I got vibes off of a couple guys back in college. But I was, I don't know, maybe it's just my personality where I'm a bit awkward with people. Or I don't know. I They did not feel comfortable trying to ask me on a date. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I maybe I was coming across as like, oh, maybe I'm only into girls. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but uh, it's like I thought people may have been interested, but no one actually asked me on a date. Um, and then the time it had the one time it happened after college, I met a couple of folks at just a, you know, 20 to 30 year old meetup because I was brand new in Portland. I really cannot pick up on when people are also interested in me. Let's also say that. (laughs) This is where the story is going. One of them said like, hey, do you want to go to the, you know, do you want to go to the amusement park to me? I said, sure. Why? Because it's a cool place to go. Mm -hmm. I love amusement parks. Totally platonic thing to do. (laughs) What? Yeah. Why? Because in my head, I'm like, you know, if you want it to be a date, you would have said, yeah, you would have said it's a date and I would have said no. But it's like, you just, it's like, you just go do fun stuff. And it wasn't until he asked me to go to a, it was like a plane museum. He asked me to go to the plane museum and it was an hour away from where we lived. And of course I was like, yes, why not? I love museums. We get in the car and it gets super awkward as it turns. It's like, I'm starting to pick up after being trapped in there an hour with him. I'm like, oh, he's into me. And he is 10 years older than me. Yes. And he's driving. <laughs> so you keep you keep it awkward and you keep it, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, mm, I just came out of college. Weird, right? <laughs> I kept it very awkward after that. Uh, I think we had one more thing we went to together. And what he had asked me to go to was, hey, do you want to go volunteer with me at a homeless shelter? And I'm like, well, I'm going to look like an ass if I say no to that. <laughs> Like that was a little bit of a trap, but he thought, so oh, I think wow. he, I started to realize, I'm like, oh, he's seeing this as a date. <laughs> and so we get there and I join a different group. I'm sorry, whoever, I didn't mean to ghost you, but I was panicking. And it wasn't, it was not long after that where he asked me in Facebook messages if we could officially date. And I panicked and then I had someone else help me write up a rejection because <laughs> it was like kind of scary. I personally did not really pick up on it until right before that. And that was horrifying because I did not go into it trying to read romance. And and then he immediately asked me afterwards, like, do you want to go on a cross country trip across the US with me? And I went, oh, hell no, not no longer talking to you. So that was fun. <laughs> that progressed rapidly. <laughs> it did even after I said no. But I think that's been like the only big times. It wasn't too long after that incident that I found out that I was like arrow ace. I didn't even think I, I didn't know I was air at the time, but I knew I was asexual after that. And that's where I was very upfront with people where I just go like, do you want to hang out? It's not a date. I shut that down so quickly. <laughs> I want to hang out with you. We're not dating. So your practice 
maybe now is, or practice might be a too intentional a word, but if you think that somebody is like somebody you want to have in your life, you just try to be pretty upfront in the very beginning. So they know that that's not a direction that things are going to go in. And then you can express your interest in spending time with them without confusion Mm -hmm. on their part. Yeah. And I'm, I'm lucky in that most of the people I've had, you know, recent like five years at this point they're they're already in romantic relationships and i'm like cool <laughs> i'm not stepping on anything i'm just the cool weird friend yeah and honestly that's my happiest where someone i love dearly they're also in a committed relationship and they make each other happy and that honestly that's like i love seeing them together mm-hmm. like i have no jealousy i i'm like i just feel warm fuzzy feelings yeah and i love it everybody like, has their needs met and it works. Yeah. It's like, you know, are you third wheeling? I'm like, is third wheeling just having a fun time with friends? Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, it used to be like a, a button or a t-shirt or something. Proud third wheel. Yeah. If I don't have to fulfill the romantic bit and I don't have to fulfill, fulfill the sexual. Yes. I will be the best friend. Yeah. I think it's another way where a lot of people are really hurting themselves here because it, we expect our romantic and sexual partners to fulfill like all of our relationship needs a lot of the time. And people will even say, oh, my partner should be my best friend. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but like they can't be the only meaningful relationship in your life. And they shouldn't be like your only best friend, you know? And yeah, I feel like people are really hurting themselves by having such a narrow view of like what meaningful relationships are. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say what love is. I'm just going to say it. It's more than one thing. And I think Aristotle had what? How many of them? Oh, a whole lot. (laughs) A lot. I read his his stuff back in college. I just can't remember it. So there was another thing that you said back when we were talking about our original conversation, we were talking about representation in the media that's really stuck with me because we were talking about uh, queer representation in particular in things like Disney movies. We were talking about the example of Frozen I was saying, well, I would just love to see, you know, Elsa be gay and like have a girlfriend because that would be, you know, so meaningful. And you said, well, it's a little bit different when you're ace because you know that if a character is confirmed to be queer, it's probably not going to be ace. And so for me, it's actually better if they have no relationship at all, because then I can kind of keep that hypothetical representation for myself. Yes, I if I remember correctly, I think my words were my head cannons get shattered a lot. And so if no one touches that head cannon of mine, I'm happy. Don't get me wrong. I love it when, you know, it's like someone is confirmed to be either, you know, straight, lesbian, you name it. But how many characters can you think of that are confirmed in like major media? I know Bojack Horseman. Yes, sweetly, I know that one, but it's like how many can you really think of that are confirmed? Ace and Arrow. Sorry, you might need to define oh. headcanon for the boomers present. Ah, <laughs> uh, thank you. So headcanon is just, there's a lot of context clues that you're picking up. And you personally will interpret the context clues as meaning that this character is part of this community. And so example, Elsa, for actually, let's bring up Elsa. Elsa does not does not have any romantic interests in any of her movies. And many people take that to be like ah she's not showing interest in men therefore i think that she's probably a you know a lesbian which that is a totally valid you know people can see let it go as a you know coming out of the closet song for me 
I look at that and go, she's not showing any interest in anyone. To me, that is seeing an ace character just live their life. Or a- and Arrow, I should say. And Arrow character just living their life. Because, you know, she's not singing a song about a guy. She's not even going after a relationship. And even during the sequel, there's a span of a couple of years. I don't think she's seen anyone. <laughs> Which, to me, I get to headcanon. Oh, I, I think she's Arrow Ace. Just because she's not looking for that. Now, again... When we say headcanon, that means it's also non-confirmed. So you can have as many headcanons as you want of a character. And uh, I don't really get a lot of confirmation that characters are my sexuality. However, Caduceus Clay from Critical Role, I got to have that cathartic moment of some a character actually being said, like, yes, I am this. I am, I am your sexuality. And so I see where it comes from when you want things to be revealed and you want things to be put into, like, actually said out loud. I very recently, again, Caduceus Clay being revealed to be Arrow Ace was in 2021 or something. And oh my gosh, the euphoria that I felt when that was actually confirmed. I get it. I get it why people want that because it, it was awesome. I had energy for days. So. I can't blame people for wanting it for to be have their sexuality represented. That said, that was like two years ago. That was the first time I got to feel that. Yeah, because I mean, I'm in the boat where like, sorry, no, thinking go, go. about <laughs> about stories and movies and like theories. And actually, I this popped into my head earlier when you said there are a lot of different kinds of love because some people love it, some people hate it. My favorite movie on the whole world that I have to watch every Christmas is Love Actually. And one of the mm. things I like about it is like some of the stories are really messed up, but like love doesn't look like what everybody thinks it looks like, right? Like to me is kind of the point of it. But the old rock star, what is his name? I can't even think of his name right now. But him and his manager stage a theory. They are obviously not, or at least the rock star is obviously not asexual. But a romantic, can't you see at that moment where, have you seen this movie, Becca? It's been years, but yes, yeah. Okay, where he says, it turns out you're the love of my bleeping life, you know, to his manager. It threw me the first time I saw the movie, which was probably like 20 years ago. But looking at it now through that lens, I'm like, okay, so this is like something that people have such a hard time wrapping their head about around. But maybe these two guys like aren't asexual. Maybe they go off and have their like flings and their affairs and their whatever. But like at the end of the day, like it's not romantic, but that's who they want to be with. I just like that example of like him saying you're the love of my life and it meaning something completely different than what that usually means in a movie. But again, what we're dealing with in that situation even is headcanon because no one actually sits down in the movie and says, this is it. No, I'm just imagining that's that's my story. That's my story now. That's your headcanon. That's that's what that's a headcanon. And I can't tell you how many times I get to try to read a piece of media. I, you know, I say, I see this character, but usually it's the one female character of a group. Guess what? She has to get with another person. Yeah. And that's what I mean by it's like, I get my, I get my reality shattered a lot. My headcanon shattered. Yeah. Like if you have a headcanon, you're like, I want these characters to be, you know, gay. I get it. I, I felt it very recently. And I'm like, hell yeah. If your headcanon comes true, do it. I just, sometimes I don't want it to, like, it's in the case of Elsa in that case, it's like, I don't want you to say yes or no just so I get to keep it and I get to yeah. protect it. Because it is shattering a little bit when that headcanon gets, you know, it's like, no, it's not true. You're like, oh, 
you're holding the pieces of your like fan theories, I guess. And you're like, well, this was special to me because it represented me. Right. You like to think that there actually is something, a story representing you out there. You said earlier about um, the queer community, not that, you know, when you first, you had a word for it and you said, does this mean I'm queer? No. Mm -hmm. Is that still how the queer community sees it? Because I feel like I see asexuality and aromanticism like hold in. Is that new? Is that a hollow effort? Like what, what is, how do you feel in reality about whether you are considered part of the queer community? So I will actually go to Yasmin Benoit's, her essays and whatnot. And I agree that we are in the queer community. And I don't know sometimes if we're accepted into the queer community. I'm not the greatest at keeping track of where things are. And what the queer community, like, unfortunately, at like the place that we go to the legendarium, I love it to bits. I love it. I personally have not seen a celebration of asexuality except for a pin. And like they had this book here. It's again, the fire becomes her, but it's not, it, it was not shouted out that it was like, this is a, a sexual character. It was someone had to hand it to me. Whereas I see on all of the other shelves, it's like, this is a trans character. This is a, you know, like a gay couple or you have a, you know, pansexual character. And so even in that queer space, at least, again, I haven't seen all all the time and, you know, I'm not always there. So please, if someone's at the Legendarium, please correct me. But I don't see it celebrated the same way. And again, maybe I'll see a little shiver. It's like, it's a little spring. It's a little thing. And when people do celebrate us, they use the tagline, Aces, we believe you exist. That is the tagline that comes out every single Ace Week and Arrow Week. Like, you, oh, yeah, we're going to celebrate you by saying, yes, you exist. And you're like, why is that our fucking tagline? <laughs> and I don't know. It's it's like there's an acknowledgement that we aren't necessarily acknowledged, weirdly enough. But also, it's we are acknowledging that lack of acknowledgement. That's not a celebration, guys. I was just going to say, like, returning again to the representation thing for a moment, like, it's one of those interesting dynamics where, like, there are varying degrees of privilege, but there are also varying kinds of privilege. And so there's the me and my girlfriend being like, hmm, is it safe to walk down the street? Is someone going to shout slurs at us or attack us? But there's also the privilege of knowing that if a character is confirmed to be queer, it will be a kind of queer that you can relate to. And I think people in the queer community aren't always necessarily the best at recognizing those different kinds and degrees of privilege. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to be celebrated, but can I just be celebrated and not the chant of we see you? And I'm like, yay, you found me. What are you expecting? Your bingo card. (laughs) A lot of the big, big representations, again, in media, if you want to, yes, we have an ace character. Let's celebrate this ace character. Their coming out scene is always, again, Caduceus Clay, being the one that I've seen that doesn't do this, but Bojack Horseman did this. And now the Gwen Stacy one did this. And I think a couple of other ones, you know, maybe not as mainstream media, but it's the one where, you know, it's like, they're, they're trying to have a relationship and the person they're just like, it's not working for me. The other person then goes, do you think you might be asexual person in question goes, what is that? And then we have a Google explanation of what asexuality is. 
And that's how we're celebrating people coming out as ace in media sometimes. And I I wanted to celebrate the new Gwenpool that came out as Arrow Ace. And I tried to read some of that. And I'm just like, this is what I've seen for every single like major character where they have to have asexuality explained to them. And you're like, you know, you can discover it, right? Like there's the internet. And even in the Thirsty Sword Lesbian, wonderful game. And they have a section on asexuality in the very back. And they have a like a couple of lines. And then they go, and now let's check out AVN, you know, the asexuality database online. And I don't know how I felt about that because you looked through, you know, like, you know, pansexual had a nice section on it. And, you know, gay had a nice section. And like, they actually define terms. And I don't know how I feel like I just got cited. Yeah. And, and they do say in Thirsty Sword Lesbians, like the mechanics are, oh, yeah, you're going to get into a relationship. And they have a footnote section. I was like, well, you don't have to play it this way if you want to play Arrow Ace characters. But I got to tell you, that whole thing, a lot of the characters are definitely coded to be both romantic and or sexual. Yeah. So. It feels sort of like a little bit half-assed. Like, oh, we know that we should really be better about respecting asexual people. Have, have a footnote. That's what it feels like. And... Again, I know that they have a whole, they have that footnote that tells you, oh, these don't have to be seen as, or like romantic or explore different relationships. It's like, why don't you have that in each character section? Yeah, like central to, central to the game itself. Yeah, and like don't have, you know, a flirting mechanic. Nowhere on my pamphlet did it say, this is how you can play this person non-romantically. This is how you can play this person non-sexually. Nowhere. And I know, I know if you're like, well, if you really read into it, I'm like, I shouldn't have to read into it. Right. You shouldn't be building an entire set of game rules that are fundamentally exclusionary to a group of people. Yeah. And I, I know if you like, I know in that book they say, it, and yes, it's flexible enough, but also why don't you just have it built in? Yeah. Because it also requires for the, you know, game master to understand that. And like, there's nothing, at least in like a lot of that gameplay, aside from that footnote, does not tell the game master there are other ways to play out the relationships, right? There's, so there's an entire RPG that at least the queer community at the Legendarium loves. And I'm like, I want to celebrate it. I see what it's celebrating, but also, uh Yeah, it's one of those things, right? That's the queer game. And if you want a game that's based around queerness, that's like sort of your option. And it's so hard for an asexual, aromantic person to navigate or enjoy. At least me. I shouldn't. We yeah, shouldn't sure, sure, for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I cannot get behind that. At least right now, with how I, I need, I need to have someone I trust at the game master. I'm going to give you options to where you just can do platonic, and I'm, you know, there's no flirting involved. But yeah, that's the game people want to celebrate right now. At least in our our little bubble. I can't speak for the whole queer community, but that's the one people really want to celebrate. I'm just like, that's why I want just Dungeons and Dragons. At least I know I can just have swords and shields, and I just fight things. Yeah. There's no romance mechanic in Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. I'm good with that. You can also run an entire campaign with no romance, no sex whatsoever and be perfectly happy. Yeah. And again, it's mainly the mechanics tell you what is important in the book. Mm -hmm. And what is put at the forefront tells you what is put at the forefront morally sometimes or culturally or whatever is Mm -hmm. um, for who this is made for. I don't if you like that listeners if you like that game I understand it's fun fun game like I did not know how I was going to play the game though because all of the mechanics I was given were as I understood them flirting based so I'm like I have no idea how I play this game now (laughs) 
Yeah, that's that's hard when you feel like you have to have an element of the story, I guess, that isn't something that you want to be any part of your story in order to, yeah. to play the game. So going back to your original question, though, does the queer community celebrate? It's working on it. Making it an effort. <laughs> yeah. It, honestly, if you're listening to this for both Arrow and Ace, please come up with something more clever than we see you <laughs> or you exist. Please. Please. There are so many other clever things you could do. Just like here, you have earned your sword or something. <laughs> All the Instagram influencers who are definitely listening to this podcast. <laughs> All right. We probably have to wrap up pretty shortly here. Sienna, do you have any other questions or Becca, anything else that you just want to make sure that you put out there? I would say for those who would like to look more into aromantic and asexuality, Please go check out Yasmin Benoit. We talked to her about the beginning and a little bit, I think, in the middle. But truly, she is on the forefront of activism for the community. And we didn't talk about this, but there is a lot of racism within, you know, even the asexuality community. But just in general, within even the queer community that's online, she has some excellent essays that address this. So I I would still say if you want to become more educated, check out her stuff. Yeah, it's a whole can of worms, worms that I don't really feel like we're qualified to address on this. No, 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 no. but, but, but yeah, she is. absolutely check it out. Yeah, because she's she's great. So she definitely is. And so it's like if you want to get into the nitty gritty of some of the experiences, check out Yasmin Benoit. And again, we are not I'm not equipped to even talk about that. But no. I will say the other person I mentioned at the beginning was um, Anna's Sweets and Stories. Um, she's she's like a bookstagram person, um, which is why I started following her. Um, she does lots of book recommendations. And then also she works at a bakery. She posts lots of pictures of all of her delicious looking baked goods that I will never eat because she lives far away. But anyway, um, she's also great. And she talks a lot about her experience um, with asexuality and queerness and all that stuff. So, yeah. Well, thank you for joining us and just being open about your experience. And I think it's something that people have a lot of questions about, you know, they like hear the term and like, I'm not sure it's so far out of the reality that we have all been fed our entire lives in, like we said, stories and expectations and what it, you know, what we are sort of trained to believe is like the way to live your life. So I think it's really helpful to just hear somebody talk about the experience. So thank you. Um, yeah. There's a lot to uncover with, you know, it's like, am I part of this community? Well, you know, what parts am I at? And I, I love, I love the queer community and there are, I'm fine saying that I'm queer. I'm actually very proud of it now. It took me, it took me almost a year to be okay with saying that though, after I met someone, but I don't know if I'm part of the community necessarily. I still sometimes think I'm an ally, which is very weird to say. And there's a lot of people who it's like, you know, oh, if you're not, if you essentially don't act like you're in the church, which is all chast, you can't be ace. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, um, well, that works for me just because I'm just a very quiet person and I'm very introverted. But um, I am, again, I am a one person and most people do not experience that. In fact, the person, the one person I've spoken eight, like who is also asexual, they are biromantic. Actually, I think they say bisexual. 
and they are in a loving relationship and um they obviously again like i i live the chast life that's also because like i'm not interested in doing anything else i'm like i'm fine playing video games <laughs> why do we need anything else well thank you again yeah i appreciate it bye bye thanks everybody for joining us today we hope this was as interesting for you as it was for us next time we are going to talk about all of the stuff that's going on with target and pride displays and lgbtq youth organizations facing threats and how this idea of danger and fear-mongering has really kind of come to a peak and is really out of line with the dangers that actually exist for kids today. And so we're just going to kind of talk about some statistics and places to direct your energy instead of cutesy rainbow displays at Target. Yes. If you want to keep kids safe, we will have some ideas of things that will actually do that. So cold, hard numbers, man. All right. Until then, take care and we'll catch you next time. Bye. If you found this podcast helpful, interesting, or just mildly amusing, please consider rating and reviewing us on your podcasting platform of choice. It really helps us to get the word out there and spread this information as far as we can. And as always, check out our website at queerkidsstraightmom.com or visit us on Facebook, Queer Kids Straight Mom, Instagram at queerkid.straightmom, or Twitter at queerkidstr, the number eight mom. And if you're feeling especially generous, please consider joining our Patreon by searching Queer Kids Straight Mom. It helps us fund this podcast.